0: Hello, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whichever it may be for you. My name is Anna Collins, I'm an Italian-American, born and reared abroad, and I'm participating in a podcast for Leiden University in The Hague, The Netherlands.
1: Hi, it's me, Paul. In this podcast, we discuss and explore various issues that fall under the category of sexual abuse. As such, listener's discretion is advised.
2: Hello, my name is Mark, and I'm also studying at Leiden University. Violence and public order in Afghanistan for the vulnerable members of society. With over 30,000 imprisoned within Afghani prisons and overcrowding of 179%, violence is a given. This podcast focuses specifically on three vulnerable groups, age, gender and sexual orientation. Honor killings get headline news, however... The day-to-day experiences of living with fear, threats, and intimidation, which women, children, and homosexuals experience at a greater level, are often ignored by the police and judiciary, leaving these groups exposed to violence, which in implication is state-sanctioned. We'll start by looking at homosexuality.
1: Homosexuality in Afghanistan is a somewhat difficult conversation. Due to the strong religious beliefs in the country, most people who identify as part of the LGBT community are forced to keep their relationship secret. On the 29th of February this year, the U.S. and the Taliban signed a peace deal which would enable the Taliban to have a say in the governing of Afghanistan. Much of the nation's community fears this. This is because under Taliban rule, which lasted from 1996 to 2001, prior to the US invasion, homosexuality was, and still very much is, publicly condemned by the Taliban, and the punishments they dish out range anywhere from public harassment to death. It is very much considered a taboo subject in this region of the world. What's more is that the population simply does not know about gender identities and sexual orientation. In 2011, Afghan reporters asked men who had pride flags and symbol stickers uh, on their cars if they knew what uh, what it meant. They did not know, and had assumed that it was, just as they put it, uh, another Western fad. However, upon finding out what the stickers meant uh, and what they were there for, they were quickly removed so as not to be seen as supporters of the movement. On the one hand, homosexuality is frowned upon in Central Asian societies such as Afghanistan's, even in some cases a a criminal offense. But on the other hand, homosexual practices can be traced uh, back centuries within Middle Eastern Arab and Muslim societies. Yet, any family member or private citizen is within their full legal right to report another person to the authorities on the basis of homosexual acts. In fact, if they, uh, they are expected to do so out of a sense of duty and honor, hence the name honor killings. Furthermore, prior to 2018's uh, Afghanistan Penal Code revamp, uh, it included an article, Article 398, which offers lesser punishments to honor killings, provided the victim was engaging in adultery, homosexual acts, or fornication. This penal code, as previously mentioned, has been amended with the 2018 version. Um, Thereby, however, the question of how this dichotomy can be explained arises. How can it be that such common practices yield such overblown consequences? To answer this question, one must turn to the cultural context of Afghanistan. Being openly gay versus uh, discreetly is a matter of paramount importance in Afghanistan's culture. The don't ask, don't tell, so to speak, way of life uh, allows uh, for regular civilians to indulge in, in their desire while avoiding public prosecution from the authorities or vigilante honor killings. The, vast, of the popul- uh, vast majority of the population is aware uh, of these acts, uh, social circles in such parts uh, of the world are incredibly tightly knit, uh, and, and very little information manages to stay secret. Uh, one must take into account that a large part of Afghanistan still follows the traditional tribal way of life in which there are no secrets amongst the tribe. Nonetheless, no one speaks a word uh, to anyone despite the fact that everyone knows everything. Uh, There are also other factors which have to be considered, uh, like wealth. If the person in question is, say, able to maintain enough power and wealth, they may continue as they were. However, once the circumstances change, more likely than not, public prosecution and persecution is on the table. To avoid such persecution and humiliation, men will often engage in the practice of the bachabazi, or dancing boys. To gain a more in-depth understanding of this practice, we have based our case study Uh, for this project on a documentary about this very phenomenon. I'll now detail exactly what this uh, case study entails. Naeem, a 13-year-old boy from Peshawar, Pakistan. He's the subject uh, of this case study. Like many of the other cases of Pachabazi, he has no parents, is forced to live in terrible conditions, and lives with abusive family members. Because his parents died when he was younger, his older brother stated that he became rebellious and therefore his older brother started physically beating Naeem. Due to the beatings, Naeem ran away multiple times from his home, and on one such occasion, he was gang-raped by four adult men. Bear in mind, this was at the age of ten. Following this incident, Naeem became a child prostitute and eventually the abuser himself, uh, having admitted on tape to raping younger boys himself. Because of what had happened, Naeem became depressed, suicidal, and, and turned to drugs uh, to, in order to numb the pain. The documentary uh, finishes the segment with Naeem uh, leaving Takarachi in order to be rehabilitated and reintegrated into society. However, he ran away after three months. Unfortunately, this is not an isolated case. Tens of thousands of young boys across Central Asia are systematically kidnapped And raped in a practice that can be traced back hundreds of years.
2: Whilst homosexuality is illegal, there is a significant underground abuse of boys, the bachabazi, embedded in a tradition going back hundreds of years.
0: Bachabazi is a term that literally translates to boy play. It is a practice involving young boys dressed in feminine clothing, their faces painted with dramatic makeup, and bells strapped around their ankles. These young boys, more commonly known in English as dancing boys, are made to dance for men belonging to the rich and powerful, as entertainment during soirees. Though little has been properly documented on said practice due to the difficulties in attaining such information, given the tight-knit community in which it mostly takes place, namely throughout Afghanistan, the information that is out there paints a dismal picture. Unfortunately, the Bachabazi practice isn't confined to young boys being disguised as girls solely for entertainment purposes. Each Bachabazi boy is taken from his family at one point or another, sometimes when he is as young as eight years old. The key is for him to have feminine features and most importantly, no facial hair. These young boys are often sold by their families who simply can't afford to feed them, and their parents know exactly what their son is in for. Once the child is taken from his family, he immediately begins to fully embody his new role, not only as a twirling dancing boy covered in bells and trinkets, but also as a submissive sexual partner to his owner and master to be made readily available whenever he pleases, and sometimes as a gift to one of his friends after a celebratory evening to take home for the night. Though each bachabazi's master makes sure his young boy wants for nothing, he is trapped in a life of perpetual sexual abuse, objectification, and if exposed, imprisonment or even death. Let me now provide you with a little context. On the 15th of May, 2017, Afghanistan's Ministry of Justice published the country's revised penal code in the Official Gazette. Article 427 of the revised penal code seeks to punish pederasty amongst other sex crimes. To clarify, pederasty is defined by the sexual activity between an older man and younger boy. Within said article, it clearly states that any person who commits pederasty should be sentenced to long imprisonment. Not only is the crime punishable by law, the article also sets out clear conditions referred to as aggravating conditions such as the person against whom the crime has been committed being under the age of 18 and the victim being a third-degree relative of the offender. To sum it up, the Afghan Penal Code most definitely condemns pederasty and therefore the bachabazi practice as well. So why is it that such a practice is still so rampant within the country? Afghanistan is a predominantly Muslim country, governed not only by Afghan law but also by Sharia law and tribal law. Most Afghans belong to the Hanfi school of Islam. The minority Hazara community is Shia and belong to the Jafari school of Islam. Across the Islamic world, homosexuality is generally condemned as unnatural and as an offense to Allah. In the Hadith, second only to the authority of the Quran, the Prophet Muhammad reminds his followers that Lot and his people engaged in homosexuality, which angered Allah and destroyed Lot and its people. The Prophet Muhammad said that this was evidence that homosexuality is an abomination and merits the death penalty. Some Islamic scholars refer to homosexual acts as zina or illicit sexual activity. The cultural interpretations of Islamic teachings provide loopholes that allow perpetrators to skirt the law. According to such interpretations, a man falling in love with another man would be a definite sin though using another man for sexual gratification as seen as something entirely different. And so the Bachabazi practice continues. In order to answer the question of why Bachabazi still occurs, one needs to fully understand and mentally immerse themselves into the idea of life in Afghanistan, taking into consideration its vast culture, rich history, and intricate mannerisms. Afghanistan is a nation that has been devastated by long-lasting wars, invasions, and destruction. It is a country that has fought tooth and nail to make sure their country stays their own. It is because of this very history that outsiders of any sort trying to dig up what they wish would remain buried aren't just kept at arm's length. Mile-high walls tower over anyone trying to stick their noses where they don't belong, at least according to some. Through the drone strikes, rocket launches, rapid gunshot symphonies playing through the night, Afghanistan in many ways has remained the same for generations. Premarital sex is strictly forbidden and punishable by imprisonment, and in some cases, death, especially if it involved a female virgin. When it comes to everyday life, women are separated from men at all times other than in the event that it be one of their direct male relatives, which include their husbands, brothers, fathers, first male cousins and uncles, and their sons. Marriages are predominantly arranged by the respective families, and more often than not, the girl is significantly younger than her husband-to-be. Any public displays of affection towards a woman are heavily frowned upon and deemed inappropriate. I hope that by now you have begun to imagine what such a society may be like and what life within it may be like. If you have, perhaps you may understand how the bachabazi, a practice initially popularized by the Mujahideen who were kept away in combat for extensive periods of time, separated by their wives and in the company of child soldiers. Maybe you could even wrap your head around the notion of bachabazi being justified in the eyes of most locals a practice that has been woven into the fabric of Afghan society throughout the years of warfare and silence. Though regretful, once a dancing boy comes of age and outlives his role as a bachabazi, he often takes the role of a recruiter and forms what is referred to as a school of bachabazi, therefore taking the role of a facilitator to the abuse, a phenomenon not uncommon amongst victims of systematic abuse spanning long periods of time. Bachabazi came to be known as a new social role culturally legitimized by society that is deeply divided between poor and elite classes. Once the young boys no longer appeal to their owners, when they simply do not resemble that which their masters desire, they are shunned from their community, no longer accepted back into their families, and have few job prospects. More often than not, starting a Bachabazi school of their own seems like the only sensible choice. Many Afghan boys around the age of eight years old are the victims of cultural violence, as tradition establishes them as instruments and objects of pleasure, if they fit the bill. Culturally, the transfer of the boy to the buyer family, the male head of which is to be the master, is justified for the purpose of entertainment. So, the locals know, the authorities are aware of what goes on under their own noses, and the outside world either hasn't the faintest idea such a practice is even in existence in the year 2020, or chooses to remain in their own respective corners. They say everything is relative, and to walk a mile in someone's shoes before passing judgment. So how much is too much? Dr. Alexis Aronowitz is a criminology professor at University College Utrecht, and is someone I've heard nothing but good things about. She is joining us today right here from the Netherlands and has kindly agreed to dive into our main topics of discussion, subject matters that she knows quite a bit about. Dr. it's good afternoon, and once again, thank you for being here with us today.
3: Thank you for inviting me.
0: Now, in your experience in researching the Bad Shabazzini, despite the laws that are set in place, the practice continues. Back in 2010, U.S. foreign contractors bought illegal drugs and services, so to speak, from a Bachabazi boy for entertainment one evening in Afghanistan, as the article published by The Guardian stated. This made a bit of a roar within the West and then relatively quickly died down around the world. Why do you think that something as horrific as the systematic rape of children simply slips people's minds after a while?
3: Okay, let let me, that's a good question. Let me first explain to your audience what this practice of bazi involves. It's not just simply dressing young boys up in female clothing and having them perform at these all-male parties, but it also involves the sexual exploitation of these children after these parties, which means that these children are very often sold to the highest bidder uh, for a night of sexual pleasure and then returned to their owners. Um... There are laws in Afghanistan that that prevent child sexual abuse, that prevent pederasty. It's a practice that has uh, been, UNICEF has done a study, and UNICEF has argued that the practice is spreading. Uh, It's becoming more commonplace, and that the government refuses to do anything about it. I think that this has been attributed to the fact that this practice is being propagated by people in very, very powerful positions, Um, people that, uh, there was a very interesting documentary called The Dancing Boys of Afghanistan, it was uh, done by Clover Productions, Najibullah Qureshi is an undercover journalist, uh, an Afghani himself, who goes back to the country and, and explores this practice. According to this and other academic articles that have been written, the people that are using these boys in those types of situations are wealthy men, they're powerful men, they have government influences, they they corrupt police officials and judges. Um, These are the people that are supposed to be enforcing the rule of law to prevent that kind of abuse against children, and these are the kinds of people that are profiting either from corruption, from being paid, or the same people that are participating in this practice. Um, Why has it slipped people's minds? It slipped people's minds the way anything slips people's minds once it's no longer in the media. Um, The national, the UN Rapporteur on violence against children um, has drawn attention to it. And everyone agrees that it's a practice that shouldn't be Allowed to exist, but yet no one wants to take the first steps to eradicate it.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Well, and again, according to your experience, do you believe the men who own these boys feel any sense of remorse or shame? In reading your paper, I in fact read that you know quite a bit, not only about the bachabazi, but as you just stated, the mechanisms and the dynamics that are involved, as well as the background information that plays into allowing this practice to perpetuate. So do you believe that these men do feel shame? or Do they feel remorse? Or do they just go on doing what they've been doing for centuries?
3: No, there's no shame or remorse whatsoever. This is actually a status symbol for these individuals to have a, one or more Bacha Bazi boys that they use as entertainment for their friends um, and, and, and it's, it's very prestigious for them. The interesting thing is this, the question is whether they would want their own children, their own young sons to be involved in this Bacha Bazi practice and that's not the case. All of these children from what I've read are, are recruited on the streets, they come from very 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 poor families um, the parents that are involving their children in this practice know what they're being used for. And even in the documentary, it's very interesting because when they ask, when when, when Najibullah
2: Qureshi asks the father or who he thinks at the time is the
3: father, it turns out to be the uncle who sells this little boy uh, to Dastegar he says, well, he's a boy. He'll get over it. And, that, and so even the parents that are selling their children into this practice know what's happening, and yet they they allow this to happen, but this is very, very interesting, and this is what I want to point out. You see, in one, in one situation, this is not only in this documentary, but this is also in other academic literature, these boys, despite the sexual abuse, are living in nice homes, they're living in wealthy homes, they have nice clothes, they're going to parties with, with you know, wealthy men, and this also provides a, set, a sense as, as, as difficult as, as it is for us to imagine, it provides a sense of status for these boys as well, too. So you see, and, 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 and these the reason why they use prepubescent boys is because they have not yet grown a beard, okay? They're also called Beardless boys. They're not men yet. They're still they still can be dressed up as women and resemble women And you hear one of these boys say, you know, when I'm too old to dance and perform I am going to have my own stable of boys and become a Bacha Bazi owner
2: The third vulnerability group are the women Living in a strong patriarchal society where even the past president has said Women do not have the same rights as men. This doesn't just affect the women, but as we'll see, it has an indirect on their children. On the 20th of July, 2009, President Hamid Karzai endorsed the law on elimination of violence against women. This criminalised rape, forced marriage, domestic violence and more. By January 2012, The Human Rights Watch estimated that there were approximately 400 women and girls imprisoned in Afghanistan for moral crimes. These consisted of about half of all women in Afghanistan's prisons and virtually all teenage girls in its juvenile detention facilities. But behind these changes there is a darker reality facing Afghani women. Discrimination is rampant with forced and underage marriage and domestic violence rarely prosecuted. Rather than finding support from the judicial system and government officials, women who try to flee abusive situations often face criminal sanctions for committing these moral crimes. Moral crimes include zina, sex outside of marriage, and running away. The Supreme Court of Afghanistan has formally endorsed this discrimination by publicly instructing the country's judges to treat running away as a crime, despite the absence of this offence in Afghan statutory law. A significant subset of women are guilty of murder of their husband. 53.5% of women and girls are sentenced to more than four years in prison, of which over half will be detained for more than 10 years, often based on confessions they cannot read and have not had read to them without recourse to legal counsel. By the 31st of October 2018 the prison population had exponentially increased with women prisoners reaching 780 2.6 percent of the total prison population. Overcrowding was recorded at about 179 percent approximately. Once in prison it is hard to get a clear understanding of their quality of life. When the Human Rights Watch attempted to interview prisoners, guards and prison directors remained in the room or passed through frequently, making the question about current prison conditions. We too have found it impossible to get interviews with prisoners on their experiences of prison life. However, it is possible to look at the peripheral factors Notably, the ratio of children to women within the prison. In 2011, the Afghanistan Analyst Network reported that of 560 female prisoners, there were 260 children living with them. NATO reports that Herat prisons had 140 female prisoners with 79 children in 2013. Repeated references are made to the number of women incarcerated while pregnant, with those giving birth often denied access to medical health, as doctors can refuse to attend due to the social stigma. The United Nations article on statistics, female prisoners and their social reintegration, says that pregnant women and women with young children should not be imprisoned unless absolutely necessary. When the offence is committed by a pregnant woman, or a mother with a baby, sentences may be deferred, for example, until the child reaches a certain age and reviewed at that time. Afghan prison law states that a child up to the age of seven can stay with their mother in prison. However, this is often exceeded, as the children have no other place to go. In Kabul, women's prisons are deemed to be more advanced than provincial locations. Forty-two children were housed, with 155 female inmates in 2011. Samuel Amir Mohammed says, We try to make a good environment for the children, but prison is no place for children. Prison affects the psychology and habits of children. The children live with criminals, they are treated like criminals, and they will most probably be future criminals. However, in most prisons, mothers have to share their food rations with their children. Food shortage can lead to desperate and irreversible decisions. The Afghanistan Analyst Network continues with saying, A woman who had given birth to her baby boy in Takar, women's prison, told us that because of the food shortage and lack of health services, she had to sell her son. She says I sold my son for 7,000 Afghani. I did not want the money, but I knew he would die in prison. Food shortage is not the only fear. The UN conducted 56 interviews with female prisoners in Afghanistan and found that 14% talked about being beaten by the police, two people were beaten in district prisons and one told of sexual abuse. Even between prisoners, violence is common, possibly increased by the overcrowding. Cabela, held in Badam Bagh Prison, Kabul, and reported by the BBC says broke my teeth and injured my hand because I fight with anyone with my roommates, officers and guards I remember when I tried to escape I have an eye weakness because they used spray on me when I tried to fight them since Afghanistan increased the use of female only prisons with female guards financed by western donors for example Badan Bag in Kabul was financed by the Italians Life has improved for these women. Previously, females were held in male prisons with separate cells, with reports of sexual exploitation in Bagdus, Gore and Logar. However, in the provinces, the women remain in men's jails, where even a visit to the bathroom can lead to being unsafe. Amnesty highlighted that the best interests of the child should be made a priority, and that the women should be held separately from the men. Addressing the overcrowding would also help. Reducing the number of women held pre-trial, giving the women access to legal counsel in all cases, is only part of the issue. Whilst the police and prosecutors display discriminatory attitudes towards women and girls involved in moral crimes, including alleged zina and running away, women in Afghanistan will remain vulnerable to violence incarceration and their children will spend their early years within the prison system.
0: Joining us now is Gary Collins, a lawyer and former UN official with postings in Palestine, the Balkans and Afghanistan. I tell you a story about how I met or heard about Gary, but he so happens to be my dad. And seeing as I could go on for hours telling you about the many interesting, let's call them that, memories my father has given me the opportunity to create over the years we have spent abroad, starting with the story told to me of an incident that took place in Jerusalem nearly three decades ago while my mother was pregnant with me. Unfortunately, we most definitely do not have the time to go into all of that. So on that note, I would like to introduce you to my father, Gary Collins.
4: I visited quite a few women in Afghan prisons who were accused of um, killing their husband. Usually the modus operandi is through some type of poison. In fact, I remember one uh, mother-daughter combination where they both uh, murdered the husband father because as the, the wife said, he was very violent and he did a lot of bad things. And you can only imagine what those bad things are. Um I think the the answer to the question is the, the vast majority of these women just have enough and they it's a matter of life or death for instance the mother daughter combination I was talking about I think probably if they hadn't um gotten rid of the husband and father uh they would both be dead at least that was their impression and they didn't seem like bad people to me I think though that this This present, this is an example of a, of a broader problem, and that is a lack of power for women and children in Afghanistan. In Afghanistan, because of the patriarchal society, the husband, father has all the power, and he has the power, he has the obligation to discipline, uh, including, including using, uh, physical violence if he deems that appropriate, and there's really nobody that's going to interfere with what a man does in his house. The police, even though by law he's not supposed to, police will not interfere because police don't want anybody interfering with what goes on in their house. So this is an example of where we have the law in the books. The law is good. Uh, it is criminal offense to uh, assault um, one's spouse or the children. However, uh, this is a law that's not really enforced in Afghanistan. There's no desire by the authorities to take this seriously. And this is the legal aspect, but also the cultural aspect. Um, It's uh, not considered uh, acceptable for a woman or a child to to make a report, to make a police report against the father or the husband. Community, the the broader family, the tribe would not support uh, this at all. If uh, the the wife or the children are really suffering physically from uh, abuse by the by the man, I think that they would. There might be some efforts to intervene to get him to calm down, to get him to stop doing to to be so excessive. But generally speaking, the physical violence is. Um, It happens. And I'm not sure if it happens any more than it happens in any other part of the world, but it definitely happens where you have a situation where the victims don't really have uh, much recourse.
0: To move on to our next subject of discussion, which is on prison reforms as well as sexual abuse within said prisons in Afghanistan. Now, Gary, I know that you spent quite a bit of time working on prison reforms in Afghanistan as well. Corporal punishment is quite a common occurrence within Afghan households. What do you think can be attributed to such a rise in women standing up to their husbands against such a violent behavior? Well, I don't know that there's been a rise to women standing up against uh, abusive husbands. I think this has been going on for a uh, long, long, long time. The, uh, the, Afghanistan is very exotic. Uh, it's a beautiful country. Uh, great people. It has a long history. They are fiercely loyal, and they don't want to be told what to do. They're also, in terms of uh, Islam, they're some of the most religious people, uh, most
5: religious Muslims I've ever worked with. And I've lived in probably eight, ten Islamic countries. Um, what happens typically, and I... Uh, 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 I, I did visit a lot of the prisons. some of these were women's prisons. Um, some men in Afghanistan are abusive to their spouses and in certain cases the, uh, the wife, the children have had enough and they often the means of getting rid of the husband and father is by poisoning. Uh, sometimes they use knives. and the, when that happens, the uh, with the wives, the, the daughters, Uh, it's rarely the sons, Um, they go to prison for murder.
0: So you're saying that, contrary to common misconception, it is not true that Afghan women, in fact, are quite subservient.
5: Um, There are cultural uh, norms in Afghanistan that are different than the West, but I know a lot of Afghan women that are extremely strong. I had some working for me. I had the first female prosecutor in Afghanistan on my staff and she's a very strong woman. But listen, what we're talking about is we're talking about domestic violence. I don't think there's more domestic violence in Afghanistan than there is in any other country. I think the difference is in Afghanistan, domestic violence is something that uh, the authorities believe should be resolved within the family and the international community has come into Afghanistan and made this an issue. I think that Afghans generally resent foreign interference
2: in what's seen as a domestic matter. But I think it's important that people in the West understand that Afghan men are not more violent than Canadian men
5: or Norwegian men or anybody else. Neither are Afghan women more subservient than any other women. They know how to get what they want. um, the, the issue is that in Afghanistan government authority does not, the remit does not extend into the household. Now, by law, yes, they could do that. And that's because we ran through provisions in the penal code uh, providing that these domestic crimes are, are crimes in the country, but they're not
0: enforced. Now, continuing on this subject, What are the biggest obstacles these women face once Afghan police officials drag them away? What do you believe are their worst fears when being imprisoned? Uh, Women in prison uh, are really hard pressed. In Afghan society, a woman who goes to prison is shamed. The whole family is shamed. Usually her husband will divorce her, which is very easy under Islamic law. Um, when one of the programs we had with uh, the UN was we wanted to
5: provide some type of technical training to these women in prison so that they would be able to get jobs when they got out for a certain have a certain trade. Usually when you're talking about uh, women's training, immediately people uh, mention knitting or sewing or cooking or something like that. but. Uh, these, these women also took classes where they learned to read and write. Uh, uh, the illiteracy rate in Afghanistan is well over 50%. For women, it's probably closer to 70%. So reading and writing is not a given. Um, some of the women uh, started studying um, English. Um, but a woman who goes to prison, normally her small children are, are uh, put in prison with her.
0: And what kind of living conditions can they be expected to live in?
5: Well, Afghanistan is a very poor country and living conditions for most people, even outside of prison, are not very good. Lack of running water, lack of electricity. Um, the, the people are pretty poor. In the prisons, as you can imagine, it's much worse. The, uh, the United Nations uh, has through donor funding uh, has made a lot of improvements especially to women women's prisons to improve the provide them with some sporting facilities some sewing machines so they can learn like that but it's not it's not that good but I, I, I want to say I've been to a lot of the men's prisons in uh, Policharki, which is north of Kabul, to Jalalabad, which is by the Pakistani border. And the men's prisons are not very good either.
1: We hope that you have found our podcast sufficiently informing on some of the many issues in the Central Asian region. Should we choose to ignore such issues as a society, we will not progress. The information and the cases we have presented we wish to be passed on so as not to be forgotten, and whilst these issues may be far away from our own lives here in the West, one must never forget to have compassion and empathy for one another. Thanks for listening, and we hope to have you on board for the next episode. Goodbye.